Good morning, Coastal. Thank you. Here we go. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And if you don't own a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. My, uh, our hope at Coastal is that uh, uh, that's our, take that home, you read it, you study it, and that your intimacy with God, that you'll know God more uh, as you develop as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. While you turn there, I just want to give you a little bit of context, some uh, um, historical context to bring us further understanding to this passage. Um, the authorship is attributed to the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul actually penned this letter while he was in prison. He never had the opportunity to visit um, the church of Colossae. Um, but there was a man who planted the church by the name of Epaphras uh, that was converted underneath the preaching and teaching of Paul. And he, he's the one who actually uh, uh, planted this church here and, uh, and was doing a work there, um, uh, spreading the Great Commission and uh, spreading the message of Jesus Christ. And um, around the time that this letter was penned, um, some of the things that were going on in the city just surrounding this church um, was this worldview that emphasized the spiritual and, and looked at the physical as evil. Okay, any, anything to do with, with things that we could see and, and, and touch was, was evil. And, uh, and this led to, to a worship of angels, uh, to, to emphasizing this weird, ecstatic, mystical type of worship. And, and consequently, because of their emphasis on the spiritual and, and, and their, uh, uh, their thoughts that the, the physical was evil, they, they didn't look at Jesus Christ as deity because God could never uh, inhabit what is evil, what is, what is physical, what can be seen, what can be touched. And, uh, and this is a, a, um, a dangerous worldview for several reasons. Um, the first reason is that they, they have the identity of Jesus Christ wrong. Um, Jesus is he's 100% God, and he's 100% man. And we're going to look at that and tease that out a bit as, as we progress this morning. Um, the second um, uh, reason that this worldview is dangerous is that they didn't view the person and work of Christ because of um, their view of Christ. They didn't look at his work as um, uh, sufficient for salvation. Okay, they, didn't, they didn't think the work of Christ was sufficient for salvation. And then thirdly, they, um, they didn't view Jesus Christ as supreme or over all things. Okay? They looked to the angels for that or the things that they can't see. And, and because they have a distorted view of Christ, uh, they have a distorted view of themselves, and they fail to realize that they need a Savior in their lives. And so it's just this weird worldview that this church is kind of placed right in the middle and, uh, and I think that the church was having to go against this worldview all the time, right? They're surrounded by people who think this really weird way, and, and they see this weird ecstatic worship, and they see this um, th these worship of angels and, and all the things that are odd, okay? And, and, and we can look at that now, being in the 21st century, and we look back to the first century, and we say, man, that's, that's odd, that's weird. You know, we even do that. We look at the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament and you dive into the ancient Near East culture and, and it, we're so far removed from that that we, things pop out to us as odd, right? And we fall into this mindset of thinking, man, we've, we've advanced as a culture. 
right? We're, we're intellectual. We're, we're enlightened. We're no longer primitive. We no longer worry about that stuff. We're no longer in danger of, of believing odd things or doing odd things or developing an odd lifestyle. And uh, as I was prepping for the sermon, and I was kind of thinking about that this week, I came across this article, and no joke, 100% real article by a reputable news station that covered a lady who married her cats. I, I prefer dogs. Um, we li- but we're living in a society where this lady, this lady married her cat like this really weird... We haven't progressed much as a culture, and, and we're constantly under attack as, as knowing what's good and what's true and what's noble. And, and as a church, I mean, making this profession that Jesus is Lord, that worldview is constantly attacked from all different directions. And sometimes it's attacked from within the church, okay? And so I, I want you to look at this passage not as something that's just relevant to the culture and the time that Paul lived in, but it's as applicable now as it was during the time that this letter was penned, okay? And, and so Paul writes um, in order to, to help um, uh, battle against these odd worldviews and these odd behaviors and to remind the church at Colossae um, who God is for Jesus and consequently remind them of their, uh, their new name, their identity in Christ, their position in Christ, um, there's this book, and I think I mentioned this the last time that I preached, but um, there's the saga. It's a four-book um, fictional series by uh, a guy named Andrew Peterson, who is an incredible musician and songwriter and also an incredible, just an incredible storyteller. And it follows these three children that um, uh, are royalty, and they live in this land where they've forgotten their identity, or they, they're just not aware of their identity as royalty. And, and, uh, and all the people of the land have forgotten their names. They've been infiltrated by these creatures called the fangs. And, uh, and the fangs cause these people to forget their names. And when they forget their names, they turn into these, these creatures or these monsters, and, and they become very aggressive and very violent. And it's only throughout the story that when these, uh, these children and when the people around them remember who the maker, who's God in the story, the maker created them to be, it's only then that they're, they're able to live the lives that they were created to live. And, and I think, because I'm a nerd, I take that book and I look, I see this book, and I'm like, oh, Paul's it's kind of doing the same thing right here. He, he, he's, he's, he's trying to... to, to um, calls the church to remember her identity and profession so that she can live as the church ought to live. And, um, and I believe that, that Colossians is one of the most practical books in all of the New Testament and, uh, because Paul, is, he, he doesn't just defend the personal work of Christ, his, supremacy, his supremacy, but, but he, he gives us this tangible list for because of this profession, here's what, here's what your life should look like. Here's what you should look like now as a new creation in Christ. And we're going to uh, examine that as we, we go on um, this morning. And so my hope is that we'll be able to leave Coastal today with, with a renewed confidence in Christ and that we'll strive by the grace of God to live lives that confirm our confidence and our identity in Him. And so look with me. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. This is what the Apostle Paul has to say. He is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray and then we're going to dive in. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make us sensitive and tender to this truth that we're going to examine. God, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge that we have of you, but it would take root deep in our heart. And God, that you would use it to make us new creations, God. And so thank you for our anchor of truth in a, in a world that uh, declares truth as relative. Thank you for that anchor, Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name alone. Amen. As you'll see in your sermon notes, uh, the sermon this morning is going to, uh, and I believe Colossians aims to answer four questions. First question is, who is Jesus? The second question is, is who is Jesus to us? The third question that it aims to answer is, who are we? And then the final question that we're going to look at this morning is, how should we behave? How should we behave? And, and by the way, just as a side note, this is a good way to study your Bible, right? To, uh, to ask questions when you're approaching the Scripture, and, and the Scriptures uh, aim to answer questions. So let's, let's look at the very first question the Apostle Paul aims to answer, who is Jesus? Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. We see that in, in verse 15 here. And, and when it says the, the firstborn of all creation, it, it's not meaning that, that Jesus had a start somewhere, which is, uh, has been a false interpretation of that passage of Scripture. But it, it means that Jesus is over and supreme. He's over all things. Jesus is over all of creation. And believe it or not, this is, a, this is a practical point. Jesus is the image of the invisible God because he himself is God. Jesus himself is God. And, and, and not just that, but this passage um, teaches us that Jesus always has been God. He's, he's always been God. He didn't become God at the incarnation when, when Christ became flesh. Jesus has always been God. And my mind goes to, and it would be helpful for us to think to think to Exodus chapter 32. And if you don't know much about the book of Exodus, there's, um, 
There's this man by the name of Moses who delivers the, he's, he's a, a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. He's kind of a foreshadowing. We can, we can uh, look for Christ in all of Scripture. And, and he comes and uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit delivers the Israelites out of oppression, out of slavery from Egypt, okay? And so uh, this, this big rescue has taken place. They're, they're out, they're down the road a ways. Uh, Moses is now spending a lot of time at... Uh, uh, Mount Sinai with God, okay? And, and so at Exodus 32, we land at this place where Moses has been gone a while. And the Israelites, after they've seen all that God's done, they start to panic a little bit. They're like, man, where, where'd he go? He's been gone a little while. We need to, uh, we need to figure this out, guys. And, and, and the remedy for it is uh, they say, okay, well, let's, because he's gone, we need to uh, figure all this stuff out. We need to create these gods. We need to make these other gods that we can follow and that can go before us. And Aaron's the guy who's been left in charge, right? Moses has commissioned Aaron, uh, the high priest, to, to watch over the people while he's gone. And, Mo- and Aaron's like, what am I going to do? These people are panicking. He has to do something, okay? And, and so what he decides to do is to take gold and to fashion this, this image, okay? And, and we get a picture of the golden calf, okay? Which was a common thing to represent a powerful God in ancient Near East culture. And what Aaron's trying to do is to poorly so navigate the Israelites away from creating these false gods and following them and saying, listen, the God who delivered us out of the oppression of the Egyptians, this is the image of him right here, the golden calf. And then Moses catches wind. God tells Moses, oh, this is what's going on. You need to get down there. And, and uh, the Israelites end up in judgment. Why is that? It's because even from Exodus, even from the Old Testament, Jesus is the only image of the invisible God. They broke the second commandment out of the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the only image of the invisible God. It's been like that before time began. It's been like that all in eternity past. When we want to see God tangible, visible, we look to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only image of the invisible God. Okay. The second thing I want you to see when we're looking at who Jesus is, is Jesus is up here already. Jesus is the creator and sustainer. I knew it was up here already. I see you guys like, enough of that guy rambling. Let me write that down. um, He's the creator and sustainer. Verses 16 through 17. Uh, The apostle Paul says this. He says, for by him, we're still talking about Jesus, okay? By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, this is the the firstborn of all creation being defined and teased out a little bit more by the Apostle Paul, right? If you, you have the question when you read the passage we looked at previously, and you say, what does the firstborn of all creation mean? If you stick with the text and you look a little bit further, the Apostle Paul answers that question for us, okay? Scripture often does that, and um, Scripture interpreting Scripture is, is a great way to get a grasp of, of understanding all of the Bible. But, but what's, what he's saying here is Christ is Lord over all things. He's Lord over all things. Everything that is can be attributed to Jesus Christ, Everything that is can be attributed to Jesus Christ. And I think to to Job chapter 38, we see this dialogue. And if you want to see the full dialogue, you can read it later. But Job 38 through uh, the end of the book, 42, we see this conversation that God the Father has with Job. 
Okay, and, 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 I, and I love what, what God the Father says. Job's kind of making his complaints about these, these awful trials and tribulations that he's going through at the time. And, and God kind of puts things back in perspective for us, which we oftentimes need. And, and this is what God the Creator says to the created. He says this, very sarcastically. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I'll question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the wound, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and, and, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all of this. That creation account, which we get several times in the Bible... The Trinity was active in that creation account. It wasn't God the Father isolated, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Jesus was active in creating the world. He's creator. He's sustainer. His existence didn't start with the moment he was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is eternal, and he's always been supreme over all things. And let's take it a step further. Jesus is supreme over all things, Practically, what that means for us, Jesus is it's also supreme over our marriages, our dating relationships. Jesus is he's supreme over our finances. He's supreme over our children. He's supreme over our health, whether it's good or whether it's bad. He's su supreme over the, the deep, dark secrets that we fail to, to confess. And the fact that, that, that Jesus is supreme and that Jesus is creator and he's sustainer over all things, that isn't determined by whether or not we acknowledge his supremacy. And I don't know about you, but that's a comforting truth. My, my confession that Jesus is supreme, your confession that Jesus is supreme and creator and, and a ruler over all things, that, that doesn't uh, make him more supreme. We're, we're invited to declare what's already true. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? That excites me. God, through Jesus Christ, has allowed us to confess something that's already true. And not only are we confessing what's already a fact, but we're invited to be heralds of that. We're invited to, to, to throw open the cellars and to say, man, guys, take those blankets off of your head. Come out and enjoy the sun because Christ is risen. It's a fact. That should change the way we evangelize. That should change the way that, that we live our lives. Everything is created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is Lord over creation because he made it. To him, it owes its unity, its meaning, 
in its very existence. And our acknowledgement of that truth is for our good and our pleasure and our joy. Please don't become, so they're so dangerous in the church for us to, to become callous with that thinking and to say, man, we're, we need to talk about other things. We got the identity of Jesus Christ thing down. And that breaks my heart. Like, I, I, I hope that Coastal Community Church is a church that's tender to that truth. I want us to, to saturate our minds and our hearts in the identity of Jesus Christ. That's what I love about Hebrews chapter 12. It says that that this confession of Jesus Christ, the last couple of verses of 12, it says, since we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, because who Jesus is can never be shaken. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us offer to God acceptable worship. And he says, with reverence and awe. I want us to be in awe of who Jesus is. Second question that Colossians aims to answer is who is Jesus for us? Who is Jesus for us? First thing I want you to see there. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. First part of 18 says it, and he is the head of the body of the church. Uh, last Sunday night, um, Marty and the prayer team held a night of prayer, and, and in it, um, uh, people gathered together to thank God for 2014. Looking down the road at 2015 uh, in anticipation as to what God's going to do when a church is serious uh, about his word and about worshiping him. And toward the end of the night, they brought the leadership up uh, with our spouses, and, and they prayed over us. And it was a tremendous blessing to, to Braden and I. And, um, and one of the things, the, the common theme in everyone who prayed over us, the, the common theme in their prayer reminded me of this passage because it was a declaration that Jesus is the head of Coastal Community Church. He's the head of Coastal Community Church. Jesus being the head of the church, what, what are, there's some practical implications for that for us. Three things that I want to just draw your attention to as we're, we're thinking on that passage of Scripture. The first is that the church is a living organism. It's composed of God's redeemed. Those of you who've repented of your sin and you've placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ are God's church. It isn't these four walls. It isn't this building. It's you and it's me when we make a profession of faith. Number two, the church is the means by which Christ carries out his purposes and performs his work. As we're obedient to the Great Commission and as we're obedient to living like Christ uh, as our example as well as looking to him as our Savior. And the third thing is, is that the union between Christ and his church, get this, is intimate and real. We're not deist. God didn't, didn't create this world and say, I'm done. This is it. I'm going to watch and see how it all plays out from a distance. God is active in our lives every single day. God is active right now in this moment. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, really strengthens that idea and that truth. The Hebraic author, he says this, Since then we have have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence and get this draw near. Can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Jesus is intimately involved in Coastal Community Church. Jesus directs our faith, he directs our Christian service, and he does this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the church is as she ought to be, we find delight in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to see when, uh, who Jesus is for us, to us, is the second part of verse 18. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Second part of verse 18 says, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, okay, surpassing or d- distinguished. Okay, the, the, the key to this part of Scripture is that we serve a resurrected Savior. Jesus is the first to die, to rise again, and never to die again. And because of that, we can have hope and confidence in his claims about himself. Pastor Andrew, he taught the importance of, of the resurrection a few weeks ago. And if you missed that sermon, I'd encourage you to go to our website, coastcommunitychurch.net, and check it out. And uh, his primary text, it was 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, he says this, Now, if Christ is proclaimed, is raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Jesus, he's raised from the dead, therefore we can have hope. He he, he isn't some puny corpse in a tomb somewhere. Listen at this, church. Here's your king. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, But when Christ had offered for all time, For all time, right? It's different than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. This is once and for all. When Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. Christ's work, it's finished, it's complete, it's accomplished, and it's applied. The picture we have of the resurrected Christ is is one of him sitting at the right hand of God the Father. We're not waiting for, I just said ain't, I'm a Georgian, but we're, we're, we're not waiting for Christ's salvific work to be completed. It is completed. It is finished. By his own confession, it is finished. And God, through Christ, through Christ's finished work, is making all things new. The third thing we want to say, who is Christ for us, who is Christ to us, is Jesus is fully God. Verse 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's nothing of deity lacking in Christ. There is nothing of deity lacking in Christ. 
See, there's some people out there that teach that, that Christ kind of emptied his divine attributes in order to become man, and that's a, that's a false teaching. That's not right. It, Jesus being fully God, he didn't suspend his divine attributes. He was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus took the 100% man and added it to the 100% God. He didn't do 100% God and then he dialed, or 100% man and he dialed it back a little bit and did 50% God. Jesus is, always has been, always will be 100% man, 100% God. Theologian uh, Curtis Vaughn states this, He, Jesus, is the one mediator between God and the world, and all, not part of the attributes and activities of God, are centered on him, are centered on him. Okay, so, so we've examined who Jesus is <clears throat> and who is Jesus to us. Now we need to look at the question, who are we? Who are we? First thing I want you to see, we are reconciled, holy blameless and above reproach. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Verse 20 to 22 says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is who we are because of who Jesus is. This is who we are because of who Jesus is. Last week, I wrote a small piece in your bulletin about the doctrine of adoption. And I, and I think that it's worth mentioning to, to strengthen um, our identity, strengthen our understanding of our identity in Christ. But um, we live in this time called the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. Meaning that, that when you repent of your sin and you, you place your, your hope and your trust in, in the the righteousness of Jesus Christ, uh, you become an adopted son or daughter of the Most High King. God, through Jesus, he's driven to the orphanage. He's driven to the orphanage, and he's picked you up, and he's adopted you. And you're in the car, and you're on the way home, and you still look like an orphan, like you still have your orphan clothes on, and you still smell like the orphanage. And because of that, sometimes you're prone to, to, to forget that you're no longer an orphan. We're not orphans. We are not orphans. And God, through Jesus Christ, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is working. He's taking us to our true home. Where when we get there, he, he promises to make all things new. What hope we have in that. Amen? We're reconciled to God by the person and work of Christ. And now when God looks at us, he doesn't see orphans, but he sees the actions of the high priest, Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to see when we're examining who we are, we're overcomers. We are overcomers. Verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Uh, pastor, teacher, theologian R.C. Sproul says this, Saving faith is persevering and enduring faith, anchored in hope. True faith and hope are nowhere else than in Christ. When, when God, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has grabbed a hold of your heart with this precious gospel message, this good deposit, 
It's an enduring, persevering, complete, saving faith. There's nothing to, to, to jeopardize that. And as a new creation, we should be perpetually repenting of our sin and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I think two great questions to ask yourself on a daily basis, right? Because yesterday's gone, tomorrow isn't here. All we have is today, right now in this moment. And a great question to ask yourself, two questions actually, is am I trusting in the finished work of Christ today? Am I trusting in the finished work of Christ today? And if not, what's hindering me from trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? The final thing. How should we behave? Okay, we, we, we've reached this point. Paul's logic is impeccable. We've, we've, we've arrived here at this very practical passage of Scripture. Okay, we, we've, our confidence has been strengthened. There's all these odd worldviews that surround the church, and there's all these people barking in your ears about what you should believe, why you should believe it. And, and, but we have this anchor, we have this truth, we can have hope in the confession because we serve a resurrected Savior. Okay, so Paul has given us confidence in who Jesus is, who Jesus is for us, who, are, who we are, and, and, and now how should that affect our life? How, what, what are things that should be in our life that we can touch, that we can see? What are the fruits of a heart captivated by that truth? What should it look like? Everybody trucking with me? I've said the same thing a gazillion times. The... Um, this is, this is what I want us to look to. Colossians chapter 3, verses 4-6 is our roadmap. That's our roadmap. And I, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read this passage. I would encourage you to sit down with your family, sit down with your children, your spouse, and read the book of Colossians in its entirety, chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4. I know that's a lot of chapters, right? It, it'd take you 15 minutes to do it, and I really believe it would create good discussion, and it would strengthen and encourage you so much to do it. Um, but what I want to do is I want to read just the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3 because I think it's the springboard to his practical list. And I'm going to give you a list. And gospel-centered folks hate lists because we label it as legalism, and it really isn't. Uh, we just have a misunderstanding of what the Scripture is trying to tell us. We'll talk about that in just a second. But this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, with, with this springboard, uh, with this is the springboard. The Apostle Paul, he gives us this list that, that, that I just want to give to you. And, and then when I give it, it's going to be put back here at the screen so you can look at it to help you. But um, here's the list. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, the peace of Christ, uh, thankfulness, God's word, and singing praise. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, 
And it, this was, it was the culture of Paul's day. So Paul spends time on how the gospel should affect the slave-master relationship. And he says this, Slaves, obey with sincerity of heart and work for the Lord, for the wrongdoer will be paid back. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. And then there's a final exhortation here uh, of, to pray, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, to use your time wisely, and to let your speech be gracious. This is how an adopted son or daughter should live. The Apostle Paul, he intentionally lists, he intentionally lists this after he reminds the church of her identity and position of Christ. And if you see the list and, and it's complete here, it's as adopted sons and daughters. And with the help of Almighty God, we strive to... Here's this list. This isn't a list that earns you right standing before God. It's not, it's not a list that's given saying you, you have to do these things and God's going to be happy with you. It's not this list that says if you do these things, you'll get salvation. Um, and, it's, and it's not used to, 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 as an illustration of why you need a Savior, but it's saying we, here's the gospel, here's your profession, now here's how you should live. So live a life that matches the profession that you make about Christ. These, this is the fruit. This is, this is basic Christianity right here. This is how it should look in our everyday lives. It's a post-salvation list. And church, we have, to, we have to strive to live like the king's coming because he is coming. We so often time, times live as atheists. We live as atheists. We live as if this 70 or 80 years is all that there is. And we need to effort to live according to our profession. Matthew Henry is a pastor and a commentator in the 1600s. He, he stated this about this Colossians passage. He says, if this be so, if all this is true, that God's love is so great to us, what shall we do now for God? Be frequent in prayer and abound in holy duties and live no more to yourselves but to Christ. Christ died for us, but why? That we should still live in sin? No. But that we should die to sin and live not to ourselves, but to him. And church, we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. So live like the new creation that you are, grateful for the gospel and obedient to God's word. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for God an unchanging truth. Thank you for who you are for us in Jesus. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that um, we would rest in his finished work and with confidence draw near to you because we're reconciled to you and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would live lives that confirm our profession of faith. So thank you for this time we have together. And we pray all this in the only name that saves Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Joey. Great word of encouragement this morning, wasn't it? So thank him. Put your hands together. Thank him for me. Okay. Um, do me a favor real quick. Okay, get your bulletin out. I want to highlight one thing on your way out. Everybody get your bulletin out and wave it at me so I know you got it. Okay. Uh, this week is the beginning of our six-week small group sign-up. Okay. Um, next week, I'm going to be doing uh, starting a new series called Creed, and uh, we're actually going to look at the Apostles' Creed. I think it's some of us, a lot of us have memorized that through the years. Maybe it'll be new to you, and I hope so. And we're going to talk about how the early church developed that and, and how it draws uh, some truths out of Scripture. Uh, that what we do at Coastal, we didn't just invent last week, okay? But uh, there's been generations of believers that have worshipped the same truths we've worshipped. So for that, our um, desire at Coastal Community Church, our vision is to develop authentic followers of Christ. And our mission, how we accomplish that, three, three ways, all right? 
Number one, it's to connect, right? Number two is to what? Grow. And number three is to serve. And like these aren't like tack on things in your life. If Christ is preeminent, like Pastor Joey just taught, then there is an overflow of worship to Christ, okay? It's corporate worship. It's to be in a small group, and it's to serve both the church and on mission, okay? So today, we want to encourage you to be in a small group ministry. There are commands in Scripture that you cannot fulfill if you are not in community, okay? And so this is kind of our vehicle to have you get to know other believers or people that are investigating Christ and journey in community together. So if you haven't been in a small group, let me encourage you, in your bulletin is that menu. There's different locations. There's different times. different days of the week. There's almost 40 small groups in there uh, that you can find that will fit your schedule. And I want to encourage you to commit to that small group for six weeks, okay? And the reason we do six weeks, we hope it becomes a lifestyle for you, but if after six weeks you're like, man, I'm in this new group of people and these people are really weird and I need to find a new one, okay? So there's an exit strategy as well, and then you can find another small group next time. And and uh, my small group got cut in half because I'm so weird, okay? And so uh, I'm trying to get some new small group members, but it's a great it's a great way for you to try one, see if, those, if that community fits for you. If not, we'll find you another one, okay? So on your way out today, take a moment, stop by. There's a lot of tables, a lot of small group leaders out there you can visit with, and we really, really want to encourage you. Commit for six weeks, be in a small group during our season as we do Creed together, and I'm really, really excited to do that. Let me pray. This is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you for being here. I do want you to know we are not after your money, okay? This service is our gift to you, but this is one of the ways we worship Christ uh, is by generously donating to his church. And so if you'd like to join us tonight, you're certainly welcome. As a guest on the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. We call that a connect card, and all we want to do with that is you'll fill it out. We just want to send you a thank you card for coming. That's all we're going to do with that if you're a guest. Um, if you're here this morning, 